Welcome to the Witty Committee. I'm Claire. And I'm Courtney. And each week we're turning back the pages on the books we love to hate. This week we're reading the second book in Lisey Harrison's Click series, Best Friends for Never. I actually want to start off this week to like, as a bit of a palate cleanser, ask you a little bit about what you're reading outside of the Click books. Courtney? Oh, yeah. So I have been reading a lot of spooky books lately because it is the month of October, after all. And this click book is actually a little bit Halloween themed. Uh, And so I have been reading this book called Horror Store, um, which is essentially a, I want to say like interactive novel, but it's not necessarily interactive. It's more like on the border of interactive and graphic. um, And it's a horror comedy book about a supernatural occurrence inside an off-brand Ikea. What? It's real. It's really fun and conceptual, but also scary as hell. Um, and I would recommend it to everyone because it made me laugh and cry. And if you're a fan of the TV show Superstore, it's like that, but scary. And kind of really gross. There's a wow. lot of body horror. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Total 180 from what we're uh, talking about today. Well, sort of. Yeah. A little bit of a 180. There's some tangents, but it's, you know, it, there's some things that tie it together. Um, well, I have recently really started falling in love with this author, Curtis Sittenfeld, and she's uh, based in the Midwest. Um, and so she wrote the book Prep which was a big like 2004 novel. And I read that a couple weeks ago because I was like, okay, I want to see what an actual (laughs) like well-written book about boarding school is like so that once we get into all of our, you know, upcoming faves, I have something to compare it to against. Um, But then I kind of found on like a dark hole of all her work. Um, She also wrote the book Rodham, which is what would happen if Hillary Clinton hadn't married Bill. Um, and just am really enjoying that. Um, finished that a couple weeks ago. And then I read a short story of hers from The New Yorker that just came out yesterday um, called A for Alone. And it's about an artist who's doing a think piece on the Billy Graham rule, also known as the Mike Pence rule, the one where if you're a married man, you don't put yourself in um, one-on-one situations with single women or like women who aren't your wife just to like safeguard yourself against um, – the opportunity for sexual harassment. Uh, and the piece was really, really good. It comes out on November 2nd, which will probably be um, before we post this. So if anyone gets The New Yorker next week, uh, you should definitely read that uh, article. It was very, very good. Short story. Um, so yeah, just some stuff that's like very interesting to read that isn't going to rot your brain or minimally will rot your brain. Um, but if you're really looking to have, you know, that brain rotting experience with us, um, you are more than welcome to join us on our trip down memory lane with rereading um, Best Friends for Never, uh, which, you know, I I think this one was less familiar to me than the first book because I, I guess I never really th- even thought about going back and rereading this. And I also think that, like, the movie is something that, like, burned itself inside of my brain. And so kind of those different plot points from the first book were things that I remembered a lot better than this one. Um, but th- it definitely came back to me very, very fast. Um, and I think some of the main plot points of this book were things that I remembered really, really well, uh, specifically the Halloween costumes, which – Kind of are the whole titular, like, um, 
the center of attention for this book, I would say. Don't you agree, Courtney? Yeah, certainly. I think that um, I, you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but the plot um, could certainly have been split up into two s- entirely separate books, I think. Um, and I agree that the crux of it is around the Halloween costume, sort of like the inciting action for this. Um, so I definitely want to talk a lot about Halloween, um, our experiences with Halloween costumes and Halloween parties, especially given that we are currently having Halloween in a pandemic. Um, so I would definitely want to touch upon what your plans are for Halloween this year. Um, but why don't we start it off by talking about what is going on in the, on the back of the book? Oh, yes, of course. Got to talk about the back of the book. As always, those different little updates happen each time, each book, you get a little bit new information. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and start and uh, give an update for what's going on with Massey this book. Uh, Massey Block is still gorgeous and still trendsetting, just in case you were worried. Um, She's still ruling the social scene at Octavian Country Day, she hopes. To keep her spot at the top, Massey decides to throw OCD's first boy-girl Halloween party, but she's not sure which is scarier, that her parents are making her invite the entire grade or that she has to throw the party with Cutler. Uh, That is a beautiful description, and I think that it's entirely summed up with the first sentence of the book where um, Lacey Harrison states that Massey Block hated herself for looking so beautiful. She angled a silver soup spoon towards her face and quickly glanced at her reflection. So not only does she literally have a silver spoon, so quite metaphorical, but also what a powerful first line. Massey Block hated herself for looking so beautiful. That pretty much if you hadn't read the first book, you now know exactly who she is as a character. Um, Yeah, and I think that that's something that was really interesting with these books is that you could pick it up and pretty quickly, like there wasn't a lot that you needed to know from the first book. You could kind of start wherever um, obviously, it would have been it would behoove you to start from the first book, but like they do give you a pretty good glimpse of how everyone is acting. Um, but I also think it's really interesting because in this like little back blurb, it does kind of establish that insecurity that again we talked about in the first episode when we didn't kind of realize how insecure Massey was when we were reading it when we were younger. Um, but it is something that is so ingrained in her actions and. Definitely something we see a lot throughout this book as well. Certainly. Um, And Claire's update is a little bit less interesting, I think, both compared to Massey's and also compared to her update from the first book. Uh, It reads, Claire Lyons, still out, wants in, seriously needs to lose those Keds. And the Keds do end up coming and playing sort of a, a bigger role in the second half of this book. But I think that it makes more sense for us to just sort of jump into the plot and talk about where we are when the book first opens. Yes. Um, so we are, I like, I'm assuming like the last week of October, I think it says it's like October 23rd it's October 23rd, or 26th. and you want to know why that's so important there to me? There we go. Why? Uh, October 23rd is the founding date of Capital to Sorority, the sorority that Claire and I are Oh, damn, of, I so. should have known that. I can't believe that you well, didn't make uh, that connection, Claire. That really hurts. Um, yeah. <laughs> joking, obviously, well, but no, it, uh, uh, it's October 23rd. I mean, I'm off of social media, so I didn't get to see any of that stuff. So, um, but yeah, cool. October 23rd um, is the, you know, beginning of the book. Uh, and it is Massey's dad's birthday where she's spending the day with her, 
I guess it's not even like the day, it's the evening with her parents and then the Lyonses. And um, the thing that I, the birthday party scene for me was very interesting was uh, kind of all of the uh, like daggered comments towards cake. Like Massey has them, Bean supposedly is like too good for cake. And then even Kendra, Massey's mom, is pushing around a single strawberry on her plate instead of eating the cake. And I was just like, like it's a birthday, eat the cake. But Regardless, um, the beginning of the story starts with Massey and Claire kind of getting in a huge fight because Todd, Claire's younger brother, which I'm kind of curious as to how old Todd actually is because I see a couple of things throughout this book that, like, give me make, – I have a lot of questions. I think they say he's 10. But – so he's two years younger. Than, anyway, yeah. I will touch on that later. But um, Todd is pretty infatuated with Massey, and so he, like – in the way that little boys show their crushes, they kind of uh, are, like, horribly inappropriate and mean. Um, and not, like, gross, like, ew, inappropriate, but, like, icky and weird. And so he starts he starts off the story by spilling a pitcher of grape juice on Massey's new brown suede skirt, which hurt me a lot inside. I think that that's going to be like a big theme is the fact that anytime someone talks about uh, ruining an item of clothing, uh, it I, I'm going to be pretty upset about it because it just the idea of a brown suede skirt getting covered in grape juice just makes me very, very sad. But kind of that in, like starts off this fight between Massey and Claire about Massey owning way too, too much clothing, buying too much clothing, kind of always purchasing items and all of this stuff, which, you know, in 2004, when this book came out, was not nearly like kind of the same thing that it is today, where now I hear about that and I'm like, that's incredibly wasteful and horrible for the environment. But, you know, different then. Um, and then Massey kind of gets back at Claire saying, like, you always wear the same keds. You've worn that turtleneck three times this week, blah, blah, blah. You're not very interesting. And so they make a bet where Massey – is not allowed to buy new clothes for a month, and Claire is not allowed to repeat outfits for a month, which means that Claire can't wear the same item twice. I Because, like, they do clarify that later on, which to me seems incredibly unfair. Also makes me think of the Lizzie McGuire, you're an outfit repeater. Big childhood moment. Um, but that kind of is the beginning of the story for us, and that bet kind of is going on the whole time. Yeah, that bet is the inciting action. It ends roughly... After the Halloween party, if I recall correctly, but that's something that we can yeah. sort of get to as the plot progresses. But so in her frustration, Massey leaves the dinner table and accepts a call from Alicia. And this call from Alicia is some gossip. And we talked a little bit about this in last week's episode about the economy of gossip points. It becomes a little bit clearer, like maybe two degrees clearer. Um, how gossip points work, like there's sort of like a limit or a ratio of like how much a gossip point is worth compared to the piece of gossip. But essentially, Alicia tells Massey that there are two girls in their grade who are suggesting that Massey is losing control over the school. And as a way to sort of usurp her, they're planning to have a boy-girl Halloween party. And uh, Massey decides to steal this idea, and she enlists Claire's help and manipulates her into getting her to sway both of their parents to, quote, co-host this party under the guise that Massey will help Claire get a cell phone. That obviously does not happen because Claire's parents are like, you can't have a cell phone until you're 16. Um, 
But Massey gets her way, and so they decide to have this Halloween party, which they the uh, pretty committee then reveals to the two girls on a field trip to a pumpkin patch. The, yeah, and the field trip is where we kind of see one of the like better confrontations of the story. Um, so the pretty committee are on this field trip, um, and uh, pretty quickly, Kristen and Dylan kind of start to fight, and it's really it's over this guy his name is Derek Harrington um aka Darrington and he's <laughs> going to be a a feature figure for a while now uh not trying to give anything away but he definitely does feature quite a lot in the in this book and going forward but they really are very very cruel to each other i would say Kristen and Dylan throughout this book Kristen and Dylan uh are fighting over their crush Darrington Cassie's kind of above it all because she has a crush on a boy named Cam who she danced with at the OCD gala in her backyard, which I don't think we talked about. I don't really remember her talking about it that much in the book, but I might have just like completely blocked out of my head. But this to me was the first time. Maybe I missed that last week, but definitely kind of how she feels like she's better than her friends because she has this other boy that no one else has noticed yet is something that is good to pay attention to. But they're definitely all talking about this party that Massey's planning and kind of this is where we get the first glimpse into their Halloween costumes. Sure. So they all agree that they want to dress as something sexy for the party because they want to impress all of the boys that they're going to be interacting with. Um, speaking about Cam specifically, Massey chooses not to tell the rest of the girls that she has this crush because she wants to make sure that Cam likes her back before she reveals it to anyone, which is something that I think we can all sort of relate to. You don't want to really like spoil it just in case it turns out that the person you like doesn't like you back and then you're a little bit embarrassed. And Massey especially has all of those uh, deep-seated control and insecurity issues to the point where if it turned out that the boy that Massey liked, not unlike with Chris Abley in the last book, didn't like her or was interested in someone else, it would be mortifying and she'd have to cover it up. So rather than going through that, she just doesn't tell anyone about it. But they agree that they all have to dress sexy, especially considering and just... Just warning everyone, we are talking about weight again in this episode because, of course, we are. These books are nothing if not discussing people's fascination with the weight of 12-year-olds. Dylan wants to dress sexy because she's lost so much weight on an Atkins diet, and Massey decides that they're going to dress as dirty devils. And then uh, Massey's parents say that since Claire is going to be a co-host, she needs to be part of this group costume as well, which Massey is pretty frustrated about. I think that something that I want to bring up um, for Dylan having lost weight is the whole time she reiterates that she's lost five pounds, which is probably a huge amount for a 12 year old. And um, it, it kind of there's like little different points throughout the entire story where they kind of touch back on this, like, Dylan is now like she's now lost weight. And the way she describes it, it's she's like, I haven't been able to fit into a skimpy outfit since I was in Gerber's. There's it's there's so many things. But Again, it's tough. I think also Atkins is just such a dated diet. Like when you're thinking about the like 2004, it's like Atkins diet was everywhere. I think um, Jessica Simpson was Atkins diet. Someone famous was an Atkins diet. At maybe it was Britney Spears, um, but it was definitely very popular sure. <laughs> at the time. And then like again the like costumes that they come up with I, Courtney and I were talking earlier about how kind of astonished we were that not only were Massey's parents 
okay with the costumes that they came up with, but they were encouraging of having Claire wear them as well. And these costumes were hot. I would say verging. <laughs> ver- well, they were like verging on like a profane, honestly. Like, like there was something that I would wear now as an adult person and something that I definitely would have wanted to wear as a 12 year old. And I, uh, when I had a Halloween party with my best friend, when I was in middle school, I, um, also went to the spirit Halloween and picked up what was like a borderline too sexy outfit for a seventh grader. Um, I dressed as a sexy ladybug and my best friend Lisa dressed as a sexy bumblebee. Um, and we were definitely not unlike the pretty committee, like obsessed with the idea of, having like a whole bunch of makeout games at these parties. And so the costumes that they're planning on wearing, which we can, I think, touch upon when they reveal them later to the entire yes, class. Yes, yes, but yes. as they're discussing their plans for the party and this being their first boy girl party, um, they're talking about playing kissing games. And Alicia reveals that when she was in Spain over the summer visiting her cousins, she actually went to a party and was playing kiss or be kissed. And this makes Dylan and Massey extremely nervous because they don't really know what all that entails. But Dylan is a bit more open about it. Massey sort of brushes it off like, I obviously know what this is. Um, And she tries to act as though it's like she doesn't want to do it, not because she's nervous about kissing. It's because of all these other reasons that she can make up as to why they shouldn't kiss boys. Well, yeah. And I think it's also partially that she's afraid of like the actual kissing. But then there's a part where she says, like, it literally says that Massey doesn't like when her friends know more than her. And I was like, yeah, definitely understand that. Like the the feeling left out of something or having someone kind of like hold something over your head is it's like such a terrifying feeling. I'm pretty much a massive control freak working on it with my therapist but um i can definitely understand how massey would feel this like she'd feel definitely like a fish out of water in the situation and not only because i think and i think that's another way of like highlighting the fact that like we're really starting to see a change in alicia she was not even a tertiary character in the first book she maybe had like two scenes three scenes like not nearly the way she does now and you're seeing her really start to shift from kind of being another one of the yes men um to she definitely commands a lot more attention in this book and you can kind of see a couple of points even up till now like earlier in the book where she really is kind of using her knowledge as ammunition against massey yeah and you can see not only does that frustrate massey in the sense that she obviously is the leader of the group and having been called out by these two girls um becca and liz for losing control of the grade so she's nervous for that sense but also because as she states on uh like page 57 that she's realizing that she doesn't know alicia as well as she thought she did and you see different instances throughout the book of uh the narration the close third person narration discussing things that massey notices about her friends where she can tell that dylan is still upset because she's chewing four pieces of bubble gum at one time or different things like that where she's picking up on the unspoken cues that you would have of your best friends who've been your best friends for years and so that realization of like oh i you're supposed to be my best friend and there's this thing that i consider to be a big secret and a big deal that you kept from me it's now october and alicia allegedly went to spain over the summer and this happened over the summer and alicia didn't tell her like, that would be a big deal for me if I were Massey. Yeah. Well, it's also like Alicia was, like, holding it in her back pocket for the right moment that she could bring it up. Um, 
And that's something that I think I noticed that Alicia has started doing a lot of because it's like she's holding on to these gossip points, these different things that she could use for gossip. And she's kind of like keeping her secrets instead of sharing with the friends. And I think it's definitely laying the seeds for the rest of the story. Um, but I think another thing that <laughs> that I think we didn't really touch on last time, but another like body shaming instance is that uh, Massey does use this field trip as a chance to uh kind of shame alicia again for her body uh, alicia is the only one girl she's the only girl on the pretty committee that uh currently has developed boobs i, don't I mean know massey how to say this. In, according to the first book massey has a cup she went into seventh grade as a bra wearer which she told brownie her horse in secret in confidence yeah, I don't think we talked about that, but yes, she does tell Brownie her horse. She whispers sweet nothings to her horse. About but her boobs. Um, Alicia is self-conscious about it. And the fact that Massey uses like a gourd joke as a chance to make a joke about Alicia's chest um, it shows that like Massey is also not above holding things and like kind of wounding her friends where it hurts the same way like Alicia obviously knows that Massey hates feeling left out. So she does the same. Um Definitely not a super healthy friendship in this instance, but uh, we see that they kind of retaliate against each other. But I think something that's very interesting with this field trip specifically is kind of when everything comes to a head and the pretty committee confronts Becca and Liz, the two girls who were planning on throwing the boy girl party. Um, And it's one of my favorite quotes was uh, when they are confronting them and uh, Becca's basically like, Massey, why are you here? And Massey was like, well, I want to show you the meaning of life. (laughs) (laughs) And then they were basically like, um, they revealed I, well, that they're planning like? and they were like, Massey knows. Yes. And then it was like, oh, I just want to tell you that I'm throwing a boy girl party. And Becca was like, what? That was my idea. And then all of the pretty committee go, that's life. And then they like, ha ha ha, laugh, high five. And I was like, those one liners. Well, they're not one liners, but they were great. No, those witty comebacks um, are definitely great. And I think that what stood out to me most about that interaction was First, the weird body shaming that Lisey Harrison does of Becca oh, and Liz. Yeah, God, for Becca. They just, like, Lisey Harrison does not want us to like Becca whatsoever, which is fine, whatever. But I think that another thing that really stood out to me was as they're having this altercation, this, like, verbal altercation, Alicia is kicking the uh, pumpkin that Becca has picked out. She picked out this big pumpkin. She's talking about how proud she is that she got the biggest one, and it's so huge. Um, and Alicia is kicking it with the heel of her boot. And eventually, as the uh, conversation comes to a head, she pops a hole into the pumpkin. Becca is brought to the edge of tears. Liz threatens to go tell their teacher. And Becca says, no, don't go tell her because she knows that it will just be worse if she goes to tattle, which just underscores the fact that they are 12-year-old girls. The concept of tattling and being so upset about your pumpkin, which granted, I would probably be upset too, but that whole idea of like, tattling or not going to tattle is so 12 because they are 12. Yeah. But I mean, like, I still, I still feel that now. I mean, it's like the kind of the same thing where like, you don't want to be the one when like, say we're, when we were in college, it's like, if we were at uh, some sorority thing, not saying that this happened because we didn't ever do this, but hypothetically, if we were at a sorority function and we were, you know, there were underage people there and maybe like we thought it was unsafe or something, we would never have been the ones to go and tell because you never wanted to be the snitch. Sure. And I think that that's kind of where it is. It's like you still don't, you know, 
snitches get stitches. And that's still something that like happens nowadays. And I think also like that understanding that like, yeah, it will be worse if someone goes and confronts this person. Um, so I don't think that that's like an unfair depiction. I just think it's something that is very sad. And I think it's like, you know, I don't think she's actually crying over the pumpkin. I think she's crying over the fact that Massey is humiliating her. And then that pumpkin is the final straw. And and I think, you know, I've definitely been in that situation where you're so embarrassed and humiliated that one little thing can like push you over that edge. Sure, certainly. And I think that there's something to be said for like the teasing and like mean spiritedness that they display towards Becca and Liz compared to the mean spiritedness that they display towards each other. Like certainly there is a level of meanness and manipulation where, um, Massey is making fun of Alicia for her body, but then again, like, which makes sense considering the way that Claire manipulated all of the girls in the previous book, where she even pretended to be Massey and made fun of Dylan for her size. So it's not like it's out of the question for this group. But then when the girls are discussing their Halloween costumes, uh, Kristen, uh, Alicia says, Kristen, we should do a go, a be what you are, like go as you are themed party uh, and you should dress as a nun because Kristen obviously with her more conservative strict parents is nervous about dressing up too sexy even though she wants to be sexy for Darrington Uh, and then Kristen retorts uh, asking whether Alicia should dress as a bitch or a slut and Alicia says that she'll be both but she does it in like a winking way where she's like I know that you're trying to like dig at me but I know who I am and I think that that's there's certainly, and I mean, like, I do this with my friends where, like, we tease each other and we, like, make fun of each other a little bit. But there's a le- there's a line, I think, that you know that you can cross and you know what you can't cross. Um, but let's talk about the costumes, unless there's something else that you wanted to add first. No, no. I think this is going to seg- segue right into the costumes where the fact that, like, a big focus in the first half of this book is on whether or not they're going to be sexy enough. And, and that term, sexy... Uh, should never apply to 12-year-olds. Like, it just, that to me, and also then, okay, so, because I'll go forward and I'll depict the Halloween costumes for you. So, because they're going to be dirty devils, which just makes me think of, like, uh, Dustbusters, the, like, vacuums for some reason. Oh, a dirt devil. You know, dirt devil, yeah, the cheap, like, vacuums, which, like, whatever. But it's very funny. Um, But, uh, they wear black tank tops that are artfully distressed and I'm guessing cropped and embroidered. based on the description. And embroidered, but I'm going to get to the embroidery. And then they're wearing red micro minis um, with they pleated too? devil tails. They are, well, they're pleated. Yes, red pleated micro minis with devil tails on the back. Um, underneath their micro minis, they have gray calvin klein boy shorts uh with is like kiss it on there on the butt in glitter and in glitter on the butt and these mini skirts are so small that that you can see the butt and then on the tank tops it has like massey devil dylan devil like embroidered on it and i just the thing is, as you were saying, like, I remember I would try to dress sexy. There was absolutely no way in hell my mom would let me out of the house in, in one item from that that whole outfit. Like, one singular item. Um, and, you know, even the boy shorts, like, under my clothes, she would have been like, what are you doing? Absolutely not. Not when I was 12. 
like I couldn't even roll my Sophie shorts twice over. They had only one roll. Like it was there. This isn't they're incredibly inappropriate. And the the worst part is that so Massey is really struggling by Halloween with this challenge that she has with Claire. Each day has been a different challenge for Massey. And you kind of hear she like wears her dad's old ties. She's really trying to make her outfits look At better. one point she wears a, a brown and a black boot. One brown, one black. Yeah, exactly. She's really, yeah, one brown, one black boot. She's really trying real hard. Uh, <laughs> that one is a little too hard, I think. Um, but she finally, like, the day of Halloween comes around and she has kind of reached the end of it. Um, and so she has no idea what to wear to school. Um, Isaac, her driver, is honking. He's honking. She needs to get to school. And so she looks and she sees that their Halloween costumes are all laid out and she decides that she's just going to go for it. So she puts it on. And goes to school and convinces all of her friends to change into their Halloween costumes as well. Um, And so they're walking around their school, their, like, middle school, (laughs) in micro mini skirts with things written on their butts and distressed crop tank tops. And pretty quickly, it's like, isn't it like right after lunch? They get in massive trouble. Not because they're dressed inappropriately. This is the shocking thing. It's not because they're dressed inappropriately. Well, I mean, it kind of is. But it's because they've created a fervor of copycats to the point at which other girls are injuring themselves trying to cut their clothes up. Yeah. So this is a common theme in Massey's life where everything that she does, everyone else tries to copy and they do so with very poor execution. And so one girl cuts herself with scissors trying to distress her shirt, ends up in the nurse's office. The nurse reports it to the principal and the four girls get called to the principal's office and get in trouble. And I want to point out that Massey did not bring Claire's costume. She conveniently forgot in her rush to get out the door to bring Claire's costume. And so Claire is supposed to dress like the rest of them at the Halloween party. Now can't because it'll just be too obvious that she was copying them, even though she's supposed to be the co-host of this party. Granted, I don't think anyone knows that she's supposed to be the co-host of this Halloween party, considering she puts Massey's contact information on all the invitations. But then she manages to get upset when people don't thank her for hosting the party as well. And I'm like, girl, you didn't put your information on the card. How would they know that you're hosting? Yeah, but so the reason she did that is because Massey, the list of people that Massey gave Claire to make invitations out to were all of the um, LBRs, which is Massey's term for losers beyond repair. (laughs) And so Claire thinks she's going to get this big revenge on Massey by giving Massey's phone number to all of these LBRs. When in reality, she's kind of just erasing herself from the picture. Because what she could have done, she could have been like Claire Lyons and Massey Block. And that would have been way more effective. Yes. Um, but obviously she didn't do that. So the night of the party rolls around and Massey and all her friends are like the whole pretty committee, including Bean, the pug. Well, not the whole pretty committee. Kristen can't come to the party. She's grounded. Because So, yeah. So they get caught and they go to the principal's office And basically, you know, there's going to be a lot of consequences, but they get stripped of their costumes and the principal makes them wear stuff from the lost and found, which you might think after last week when we know that Claire got a lot of amazing designer stuff from lost and found is no longer the case because apparently Claire's been raiding the lost and found quite regularly now. Which I would too. So nothing good is left. (laughs) I would too, but I'm shocked that they let her, that like Nurse Adele was just like, 
Yeah, come like come shop through the Lost and Found. Nurse Adele is a Claire stand. You know, sure. Um, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but basically they go and Massey is able to find a sh- like a red shirt with a coffee stain and big, huge mustard colored corduroys. Um, de- uh, Alicia wears a floor length <laughs> denim skirt and a denim shirt. So, which she says is rodeo chic. And then Massey goes, rodeo, no, you didn't. Which I thought was great and also horrible. But it's the funny thing is, is at the end of the uh, Massey's walking out of school and she's, she tells everyone she sees them all with their ripped clothes. And she realizes that like come Monday, there's going to be all these people walking around look, looking like Winnie the Pooh because she wore mustard colored cords and a red shirt. And I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah. But Kristen, at least, luckily, is able to change into the clothes that she snuck out of the house wearing. Uh, so, like, a mother-approved appropriate outfit. So, she's the only one who looks halfway decent. But then Kristen... But it's not enough to save her. No, it's not enough to save her. She still gets in trouble with her mom because her mom is the only one who, like, actually cares about what she does at school, apparently. And so, she can't go to the party. She calls Massey sobbing. Massey gets annoyed that Kristen's calling her and putting a damper on her mood because she needs to perfect her makeup before the party starts and get in position. Well, it said that Massey, she's just really upset that Kristen can't come. But she, like, didn't do a very – that's what it says. It says that, like, she's sad that Kristen can't come. But she doesn't do a very good job of, like, expressing that. Instead, she just is, like, very annoyed. Like, she acts very annoyed, but, like, it's because she's upset. And so what she does is she retaliates by taking it out on Kristen. And she just starts being really mean to Kristen. Yes, she's 12. It's obviously not fair. But so she says, oh, well, it sucks that you're not going to be there because then Dylan is going to flirt with Darrington, which just makes Kristen cry even harder, which is not the goal that Massey wants. Um, I don't know what Massey wants. Yeah, Massey, well, literally after she said that, she goes, oh, I, she realized she probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, but it's not like she's suggesting that Kristen sneak out of the house to come to the party or anything. Like, there is no end goal. No, she does, she does say that she wishes once in a while Kristen would stand up to her parents. But, like, again, they're 12. Like, what is standing up to your parents going to mean when you're walking around in an outfit like that? Like, I think that Kristen's parents were more than justified in their punishment. Sure. And also, what would standing up to her parents mean? How would she still get to the party? Like, she's 12 and it's Westchester County, New York. It's not like you can get on the bus. It's not close. There's no buses. And there's no Uber at this point. So she can't call a ride. And she's not rich enough to have her own driver. She could call a cab. She could call a cab, but she's broke because her family's poor, as we know from last book. Yeah. Massey and then Dylan and Alicia. Sorry, I have a stutter all of a sudden. Um, I don't know what's going on. Um, but Massey and Dylan and Alicia are all dressed up in their devil costumes. Claire has hers now, but she realizes she really can't do it. So she's upstairs getting ready, dressed up as Blossom, one of the Powerpuff Girls, because she was that last year and she's just going to do that again, rather than look like she's copying. I, too, have dressed as Blossom from the Powerpuff I Girls. I was never... For I don't think I was ever a Powerpuff girl. I mean, mom, if you're listening to this, please contradict me. I think I may have been Bubbles one that year. But I, I really don't think so. Oh, wait. No, I think um, I was Bubbles but too. I can't remember now. I think if you were if you were a small blonde child in that time period, you wanted to be Bubbles because I definitely did. I was, I was always Bubbles and I was always Cinderella because as one does. That was pre-Elsa uh, and like Rapunzel and Tangled, like all the good new modern princesses. Uh, I was going to say, for when we post this episode, we're going to need to find some good throwback pictures of our Halloween costumes for the Instagram. Oh, I've got great ones because my uncle 
is a costume designer on Broadway. Oh, dang. And he, yeah, he used to make me like mimic costumes from his productions. And Madonna did a performance at the VMAs. I think it was 1990. Yes. Okay. So Madonna did a performance in 1990 at the VMAs where she was dressed as Marie Antoinette. And my uncle Fritz, who is amazing, made me a miniature five like version of the, of the dress that Madonna wore as Marie Antoinette for like a five-year-old person. And it is still one of my favorite things in the whole entire world because it's it's just amazing. You guys will all get to see yes. it. It's the coolest photo. Send the pic. We'll <laughs> it's the coolest it thing ever because it, it's like yeah, I mean it's it's adorable. Um I was very cute, but also the, the fact that I was wearing a full like gown with panniers and like the whole nine yards, it was just pretty awesome. So um I I also really loved Halloween when I was growing up. Anyway, Claire dressed up as Blossom. She is surprised by her younger brother Todd and his midgety friend Nathan, which I was like, that's a word okay. that does that did not age well. Yeah. And they Todd and his friend Nathan are also dressed up as the Powerpuff Girls so that Claire doesn't have to go alone. So um I think Nathan is Buttercup and Todd is Blossom is um Bubbles so that they can be all three of them. Which to be completely honest, if I was 12 and my little brother dressed up wanted to have a group costume with me, I think that'd be more embarrassing than just going as one of the Powerpuff Girls by myself. Yeah, it's but, sweet now that we're um, in Henry our also 20s, never but... wanted to have a joint costumes with me. Well, I don't think Henry well, maybe we did do I don't think we ever did a joint costume. Be funny though. We didn't really start liking each other until like four years ago, so um but yeah. Uh, so Claire does not have to show up alone. She comes outside and she joins the party and she tries to kind of like sidle up to Massey so she can like greet people with Massey as like, you know, the host. Um, Massey has no time for that, is absolutely absolutely not going to let people see her next to Claire when they enter and especially not the boys from Briarwood. Yes, it's certainly not the boys from Briarwood because she is still holding this crush that she has, like, close to her heart. And so she tells Claire to go camp out by the snacks table. Um, And instead, she decides to request some more popular songs from the DJ, who is relieved that he no longer has to play just, like, the Monster Mash on loop, which Monster Mash, pretty good song, I would say. Um, Here's something that I heard the other day on TikTok that really kind of blew my mind about the Monster Mash. Oh, I know what you're going to say. You know, we don't actually, yeah, we don't actually hear, we don't know what the Monster Mash is. We know that the monsters are doing the Monster Mash, but the song is about people doing the Monster Mash, not about, it is not the Monster Mash, which I think is very interesting. Yes. Like, what is the Monster Mash? I think that that is a great discussion question that I would love our listeners to send us some thoughts on via... Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email, all that contact information will be at the end of this episode. Um, I am surprised yeah. that... What is the Monster What mash? are your thoughts on the Monster Mash? I am surprised that Claire didn't dress up in a co-costume with Lane. Granted, like, she was supposed to be this dirty devil with Massey. I don't know why she didn't anticipate some sort of sneaking behind her back about it, but I digress. Lane is dressed up as a couch potato. Uh, I'm not sure how effective of a of a couch potato though, because it sounds like she's wearing a cardboard box with cushions glued to it, and then her face is painted brown. Yes, which Alicia refers to her as a couch poo. 
Yeah, it sounds bad. It does not sound good. And also, I think it's because Claire realizes that Lane would want to do something. Earlier in the book, Massey kind of like talks down towards like pun costumes and Claire kind of jumps on that train. So I bet Claire knew that Lane would want to do something like punny. And so she did not want to do a pun costume after having like talked down about them to Massey. But it's funny because their other two friends, um, Mina and... Oh, God. her face. Other girl who has no personality. Yeah. Um, dress up as uh, zombie Paris, Paris and Nikki and Hilton. Nikki Hilton. Which I think is great and fantastic. They're wearing like skin tight dresses and blonde ha- blonde wigs and then like green body paint. And I was like, that's funny. I like yeah, that. That's funny. I think that that's funny. It's a great way to be both sexy and scary as a 12 year old on Halloween, but also culturally relevant. Um, But I think that there is something to be said about Claire's friendship relationship with Lane during this, where they kind of aren't as close as both they were and weren't in the last book. And also, I don't think they're on the same page about where their friendship is. Um, At the beginning of the book, Claire takes a friendship quiz with Lane. And one of the questions is, if your best friend was abducted by aliens, what would you miss most about them? Um, And the options are like, laughing until my abs hurt. Um... Being with someone who truly gets me and C is like, miss, question mark. Like, I wouldn't miss them. Lane implies that Claire is her best friend and says that she'd miss both A and B laughing and being truly understood by Claire. And Claire clearly does not truly understand Lane. Um, And Claire thinks to herself that if she had been with her Orlando friends, she would have answered both A and B. But for now, she picked C. She liked Lane, but still secretly longed to be part of Massey's fabulous foursome, just like everyone else at OCD. So what if they threw smoked salmon at her a few weeks earlier? She would be willing to put it behind her if they would. (laughs) Fitting in with them would mean fitting in with everyone. And who wouldn't want that? So that makes sense for why she wouldn't want to do a group costume with Lane regardless, because she's still holding a candle for being in Massey's group. Uh, But it's also so sad that she's just like, Lane is a placeholder in my life for everyone else who isn't here, whether it's emotional or physical distance. I mean, yes. I think another thing that is like not related to <laughs> the storyline necessarily going forward, but um, something that we're going to see with each book and something I will bring up is the fact that every book, um, Lane has a new favorite snack. And so last book was oatmeal. Yes. And then this book, it is apparently uh, popcorn with mustard, which, you know, whatever floats your boat, girl. Not worse than um, oatmeal. I think plain oatmeal is worse than popcorn with mustard. Uh, yes, I agree. The... Night is moving forward. Um, Lane basically dares Claire to uh, ask Massey for help getting to talk to the boys. So Massey does agree to help Claire and Lane, but like not in front of anyone else. Um, So Massey's kind of blocked off one of the bathrooms in the cabana, which confused me. But anyway, (laughs) um, blocked it off for her own personal use to like kind of have her friends there. And so she tells Lane and Claire that she's going to find boys for them and they should wait for her in there. And so they are quickly introduced to um, Tristan and Eli, Mm -hmm. who are dressed up as rock and roll. And so I think Eli is rock and he's basically he looks like a rock. He's you know, spray painted gray. Um, and then Tristan is the role and he's dressed all in black and covered in like dinner rolls, which I thought was an interesting choice. But um, one thing that we noticed pretty quickly, and this is another thing of like Lisey Harrison with like, not necessarily body shaming, but definitely not a good way of implying things. Um, 
is that Tristan is wearing eyeliner and like some eyeshadow and it's like and uh, glittery nail polish. And she, the, you know, Lisi pretty disdainfully remarks on that pretty early on and makes it seem like he's this super weird other like kind of guy because he sneaks into his, his sister's bedroom and he puts on makeup for school every day. And I was, I was kind of disappointed because I feel like this could have been a great plot point that wasn't utilized. I know that the gay best friend is a trope. I'm very aware of that. I don't want to tokenize uh, members of the LGBTQ community, but um, I also think that in 2004, uh, I think tokenizing them might have been a little bit better than outright using it as like a turnoff, as a this guy's a weirdo and a creep. And it's going to immediately make me not want to be around him or hang out with him because he wears eyeliner. And now, you know, we see with like gender fluidity and everything is so much more embraced. Um, at least ostensibly, that like if I saw a guy with glittery purple eyeliner on, I'd be like, that's dope. Like, which eyeliner is that? Is that Urban Decay? Can you tell me? Like, I, it's just not nearly as much of like, it was such like a turn off for Claire. And again, they're 12. So like, who even knows what he's trying to do to express himself anyway? Yes, I don't disagree with that. Um, and his gender nonconformity does sort of play into a later plot point. But I will say, whether or not this character is being queer coded, this was also during like peak fallout boy, like pop punk emo band time. So it may not be an expression of gender or sexual identity. Perhaps he's just a Pete Wentz wannabe. Yeah, I think... Maybe. We don't have to unpack that, but I like I might. definitely know that there were plenty of male celebrities who just like wore eyeliner and black nail polish because they were like, I'm so emo. And as you He's and I both being former emos, silver nail polish though. Yes, but as you uh, and I both being know, former emos, I think we can definitely identify with that. Like I don't think you can ever get the black nail polish off because it's not black nail polish, it's black sharpie you used to draw on your fingers I did when not you were at school. <laughs> Oh my god, I used to do that all the my time. My mom was always really mad at me whenever we would draw on ourselves with ink because she was afraid that we were going to get ink poisoning. Oh, I used to draw on myself all the time. I also remember you really when if you're a real emo kid, you wanted like jeans and Converse that you could just like scribble on yes. and like you would have all these like yeah, all I wanted. But do you remember the knee-high Converse? I do. And I never had Neither. them and I I realized that my mom was very intelligent <laughs> in not doing that because the idea of putting them on, I don't know when or how I would have ever worn them because that sounds miserable. And also now it makes me think of like images of like Jojo Siwa, not of like cool emo kids. I just can imagine her wearing like hot pink ones and like glitter, like hammer pants. And I don't even know. You know what I mean? Like it's a whole thing. Yes. Um, speaking of Speaking of fun fashion choices, um, one of, we're going back to the Halloween party and we have – is Cam or Darrington the one who is dressed as a soccer player? It's Cam, right? Cam is, which is very meta because he is the he is a soccer player. Yeah, they're all these boys are soccer players because we moved on from horseback riders. Oh yeah, but it's peak like boy thing to do is like, oh, I'm just gonna wear a jersey to a Halloween party. Like I guarantee you that that's what my husband's gonna do on Saturday. <laughs> sure. So he's dressed as a soccer player. Um and so it's Darrington, Cam, and their friend Vader, who I don't know if we ever find out, like, who he really is after this book. I think they sort of, like, shelve him for other uh, Briarwood Academy boys. Um, 
But so Massey, Alicia, and Dylan all invite them to go roast marshmallows at one of the various fire pits, which this party seems very elaborate, I will say. I think that the party planner who they hired did a very good job. They've got an ice skating rink and fire pits and a whole bunch of candy. Um, So the girls go with the boys to roast marshmallows, uh, and they start throwing marshmallows at each other. And who appears but this random, mysterious blonde girl whose name is Olivia. And it turns out that Olivia has been missing from OCD for the entire semester, apparently, because she was sick. Uh, And the girls all suggest that she had a nose job, which really stood out to me because what doctor would operate on a 12-year-old? Your nose is still growing. That would be a horrible investment of money unless something was really wrong with her nose. Well, isn't it? There's the suggestion that it's her second nose job. (laughs) But again, like... Who, you wouldn't do a nose job on a 12 year old. Maybe she just has the worst. Maybe she has the worst deviation. That's what I'm thinking. Like, is maybe she actually does have like an actually messed up sinus cavity yes. that she needs it. But like, I also cannot imagine like what, what she would need a nose job for. I don't like, know, but it just speaks to the like <laughs> ridiculous rumors that you would hear when you were in middle school, which I know that. My friends and I all participated in, too, where we were like, oh, I think so-and-so. Um, oh, gosh. When I was in middle school, there was this girl who said that she was uh, cousins with Miley Cyrus, and she actually sang um, on the Hannah Montana theme song. Like, people just made up random stuff when we were in middle school. Do you... Oh, I did that, Yeah, too. everyone just, like, made I up absurd lies. And so this tracks I said that. I was Taylor Swift's cousin. <laughs> That is very funny. I am not related to Taylor Swift at all. Except for if it's like a secret. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, if maybe it is and I'm like, this is really going to blow up and she'll be like, yeah, that's my cousin Claire. (laughs) And then I don't know. I'm not cousins with Taylor Swift. Uh, Uh, We're introduced to Olivia and Dylan and Massey are making fun of her. Alicia does not participate in the teasing of Olivia and instead, she decides that they're going to go try and find an empty bottle so that they can play spin the bottle together. And Massey immediately starts freaking out. Um, Kristen gets called and she also starts freaking out that the girls are going to try and kiss Darrington. Um, and so Massey convinces Dylan to distract the boys because she uh, plants this little seed that Olivia is going to try and kiss Darrington. Again, everyone is so obsessed with Darrington for pretty much no reason. Um, and so Massey convinces Dylan that they need to go hide out in this closed off uh, bathroom in the cabana just to protect him from Olivia. I mean, yes, I think that one thing that I would like to call attention to is the fact that Massey finds that him, Darrington, unattractive because he wears shorts year round. And um, my younger brother, Henry, uh, when he was studying in Maine, his junior year of high school, uh, wore shorts the whole time he was there, including in the winter. That like, is a in frigid cold. That's Maine. a typical Northeastern and it's a guy thing. T- like teenage boy thing, I think. It's, I don't understand. I really didn't get it. I was like, you're, you own pants. Just put them on. Either it's the hormones or it's them trying to prove that they're so tough because they're not cold. We'll have to ask Henry, but I don't know. Oh, it's definitely the second one. It's definitely the second one. It's like a, it's like a macho, I'm so cool that I'm not cold. Like, you know, it's definitely the second one, but I think it's very dumb, (laughs) basically. 
And I and I, also I think Massey describes Darrington as looking a little bit like a yellow lab because <laughs> he's got like long blonde hair and brown eyes and so he looks a little bit like a yellow yes, lab. Yes, both and I was boys like, are interesting. dogs. Um Darrington is a yellow lab. Cam is a husky because he oh, has Cam's a, a husky with his blue and a green eye. He has heterochromia. Which Claire also later describes him as reminding her of as Snow White, which I found really funny because he's got dark, dark hair, pale skin and red lips. And I was like, okay, if that's your thing, (laughs) go for it. Um, But uh, yeah, so there there's this like kissing thing kind of going on where Massey is really trying to avoid it. Um, She's very nervous about it. but kind of what ends up happening is that Cam, while he is running away from Alicia and Olivia, inadvertently runs into, like, physically. Yes. Not, like, Physically and... Ooh, I ran into and, you. Uh, meta- not metaphorically, but, like, ha- literally and the other <laughs> yes. one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, into Claire as she's getting... Or into the uh, caricature artist as he is uh, depicting Claire... And Nathan, her Claire's brother's friend, in their costumes, um, and pretty quickly uh, they use that as a segue to transition into kind of Cam and Claire talking, uh, and then the last song of the night comes on, which is I think it's it says it's hot in here, which I find really funny that it's um it's that song specifically because I feel like I remember being that age dancing to that song, the like very, very bleeped out version of it. But Cam and Claire immediately decide that they're going to give it their all to try to win the like dance competition at the end because the prize, I guess is two Apple gift cards, which I feel like was the go-to prize for anything growing up. And you know, they work really hard and they win and Claire decides she's going to give her gift card to Cam because she doesn't have an iPod. And he says in return that he's going to make her burn her a great CD of the songs he chooses, which I used to do all the time. We used to have a stack of blank CDs because I used to burn my friend's CDs constantly. I loved burning CDs, making mixtapes. It was like my one of my favorite things to do. I honestly kind of miss that because like, what am I supposed to do? Like make a Spotify playlist and like send it to me to my friend and be like, hey, made this for you. Um, (laughs) Like there's no obligation to listen to it then. I will say that I never made burnt CDs for other people because I never really bought songs on iTunes. I don't know what it was. I just like never had, I had iPods, but I didn't really focus too much on burning songs onto CDs or putting or buying songs on iTunes. But I will say that in the past four to six weeks, I have made not one, but three different custom Spotify playlists for different people or like groups of people in my life. I know that we made one for your bachelorette party, which I was very excited about. But I made one for coworkers at work. It was part of like a work project where each week one of us has to make Spotify playlists for each other. So I did that. I made one for a person who I'm talking to. And then I made some other ones. Um, But it's definitely something that I think still exists. And I think that it's something that's still very sweet and nice because you get really nervous about like, well, are they going to like all these songs? Are they going to think that I'm lame? This is sort of like a piece of who I am. I will say that um, he also, Massey uh, talks to him after the party. She, like, feigns some reason to talk to him. She says that she asks if he left his uh, shin guards at her house after the party. And he, during their phone conversation, promises to also make her a CD. Um, which then 
she tries to get from Todd. She sees Cam give something to Todd as they're on the same bus. And she tries to get it from Todd. And Todd does something that I think we haven't really talked about his flirting and like how inappropriate I think it is that his parents are encouraging it. But he tricks her into kissing her. He like plants a kiss on her and it's her first kiss. And that at the time didn't really like mean anything to me when I was first reading it. But now as I'm an adult, I'm like, that's heartbreaking. So sad. I mean, honestly, though, if it, if it were me, I just wouldn't count it, which yeah. is a good time to segue into um, my f- first kiss stories, because there's two of okay, them. Okay, because you didn't count the first uh, one? Like Massey, I'm not going to count okay. the first one, because my first kiss, first kiss, first kiss, was in fifth grade with my quote unquote boyfriend of three years. His name was Joe. We had our, f- our first kiss. And and it was like we had, we had been dating for three years, so since first grade, like or like second grade, I guess. So like not really dating, not even like I think we maybe held hands, like not even. And I I kissed him, and it was like one of those things. And then like six months later, he goes, "I don't want to see you anymore." <laughs> but it was six months later because he moved, and we saw each other at New Year's, and he was like, "I don't want to see you anymore." And so <laughs> I didn't see him for like ten years. It was very embarrassing. <laughs> But I kind of was just like, that doesn't count. I'm expunging it from my brain. I'm starting over, which I think Massey has more than enough right to be able to do. And so my actual first kiss that I count being my first kiss was my freshman year of high school with the guy who I kind of would be like off and on sort of dating not really dating because like he would never talk to me in front of other people until he would freshman year of high school Um, or college high school not college oh my god no no. judgment if any of our listeners hadn't had their first kiss until college okay you are valid yeah no judgment sorry 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 i'm sorry um but freshman year of high school (laughs) i know you didn't mean that but i'm making fun of you yeah freshman year of high school uh and i was staying late after i guess like cheerleading practice one day and it was me and this guy that I'm not going to say his name because it's a very unique name and I really don't feel like talking about it any any deeper than I already am um do you want to give me a name we can call it we can call him let's call him let's call him Cam his name's Cam there we go um so I was with Cam and then this one other guy uh Kevin and we were kind of just like hanging out um and it was on the practice field for the football players, but there was like no football players there. And I remember it like being like, like five thirty, and the sun was going down. And I remember the light was like fantastically beautiful. This is cinematic. And he went over and like kissed me. Oh my god! It was it was cinematic, and I still have this memory in my brain of it being this like actually like really beautiful moment. Um, which I was kind of glad that I you know erased that first one and got to claim the second one. Then this guy who uh, is. Uh, you know, not actually named Cam, but Cam turned out to be a horrible person to me over the course of the next two years. But, uh, you know, I would say that like that one moment in the uh, late October sunshine <laughs> was pretty was pretty nice. Uh, Courtney, what 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 was your first kiss? like? Um, so my first kiss happened when I was in seventh grade. I was on a bus on the way to a friend's bat mitzvah. It was pretty late at night, and we were headed to the venue after the ceremony at the synagogue, and all of the kids on the bus were, I don't know if we were playing, like, Truth or Dare, but it was, like, a Truth or Dare-esque game, 
And I, let's assume it was truth or dare. I was dared to kiss this boy named Nick. And so I leaned over the bus seats and I kissed him. And it was like a cute, sweet, small peck. It wasn't like a makeout or anything. And then the next person who was asked truth or dare was my best friend, Lisa. And Lisa was dared to kiss the same boy, Nick. And so then she did. Oh, no. It's per- I mean, like, it's perfectly <laughs> fine. I think we both ended up, like, having crushes on him at one point throughout middle school or high school. I don't know if either of us ended up dating him. But it's just something that, like, you know the concept of Eskimo sisters? It's like the seventh grade version of Eskimo sisters where yes. it's like, oh, this is something I do cute know the that connects Eskimo us. Sisters. I don't know. Lisa and I went through oh a gosh. lot of fun frenemy uh, interactions throughout our years of, I think we've been friends for... 10 god we've been friends for over 10 years now so obviously they're going to now isn't that crazy yeah exactly they're going to be like those interactions or moments or memories where um obviously i look on them with hindsight and rose-colored glasses but i can genuinely say that that first kiss was sweet and fun and a funny memory and like not traumatic at all unlike massey's very poor first kiss which i hope she does move past yeah it does really like kind of break my heart that that's like that you know because but also i think that like when you're that age your first kiss is the most important thing that's going on in oh, your yes. life and in hindsight um it does not really matter at all <laughs> at all which is why i was so easily capable of just like editing my bad one out of my life completely and not counting it really at all because i was also in 5th grade and i think i probably it just does it just doesn't count when you're that young like at all um but I think that it's something that it was a huge plot point in this story and kind of like was that big. Um, you know, Alicia was using it to help like hold over Massey that she had already had her first kiss um, with all of these people in Spain and all this stuff. And it was like this big deal for this first kiss for them. And the fact that like Massey had it like kind of stolen from her is it is really sad. Um, and I think also, you know, it's kind of one of these things that like, you know, we nowadays, back then it was like uh, the way, you know, if a boy was being mean or rude to you, it was just because he liked you and you had to deal with it. And I will never, ever, ever let my daughters or any other young woman that I encounter uh, deal with being harassed like that. Okay, so my dad called me on the way. They were, like, driving home from North Carolina yesterday. Don't ask me why they were in North Carolina. I have absolutely no idea. Um, but he he was calling me because they had just finished listening to the first episode. And he, <laughs> oh, I, I, it's just the funniest thing ever. Because obviously, you know, in the first episode, I was actually pretty nice to my parents, which, like, in retrospect, just, I was not for most of my childhood. So I As think that must have been a pleasant parents? surprise for them. Okay. I, you know, I was, also, I was nice to your parents. <laughs> I'm always nice to your parents, but um, my dad calls and, you know, he's talking to me about it. He has so much, so many things to say. Then he was like, can I just give you a little bit of feedback? And I was like, uh, (laughs) I kind of wanted to be like, not really, because you're 63 and you're you're a 63 year old man. Yeah. I was like, "Mm," but I was like, I guess I think I literally said, sure. And he goes, I think it's great. I think you and Courtney are great. You guys are great at speaking with each other, but I think it's too long. And I was like, well, dad, I mean, like, I don't know what other podcasts you listen to. 
Um, but like most of the ones I listen to are over an hour long. And my mom was like, yeah, Pete, all my podcasts are over an hour long. And he was like, oh, well, you know, I don't really know how to listen to podcasts or like where I'd even go to listen to podcasts. And I was like, so where are you basing all this podcast <laughs> feedback off of? His attention span. And that's valid. No, I honestly think so. Then he then he launched into a story about how guys don't really like men just aren't really like this. Like guys are just friends with their friends and it's like totally normal. And, you know, this is not something that ever happens to a guy. And my mom was like, well, maybe for you. But like, I know Henry had a tough time in high school with some of his friends. My dad was like, no, not in the same way. And then he started telling all these stories about how popular Henry was. And I was like, great. You never had any of those stories about me. (laughs) He was like, yeah. When Henry hears about this, he's going to either be mortified or super puffed up and be like, yes, I I think no, it's going to be a combination of the both. Well, it's 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 the fact is that my dad, the the underlying hint of the story is that my dad is incredibly ignorant of his children's sufferings (laughs) because like (laughs) Henry was, yes, in the very popular group in high school. But like with that comes it's as we know, um, when we look when we're looking at the clickbooks. Being in the pretty committee, it's hard. You got to fight to stay in, right? Yeah, I wonder how many times Henry threw smoked salmon at people because he needed to prove that he was with the in crowd. I actually probably not, maybe not smoked salmon, but I bet he has some good stories about um, what it was like to be popular in high school. I feel like we should bring him on because I don't have that point of view. Maybe we Um, just do an episode that's both of our younger brothers because they are so similar. They both were way more popular than we were. They both played lacrosse in college and and in high school. Um, They both are taller than we are. They both have brown (laughs) hair. They both want to work in finance. We basically Henry does work in finance. I know, but my brother like hasn't graduated yet. So like the aspiration. We could have them come on and talk about us. I think that's mortifying. I think that's horrible. Maybe your brother talks about me and my brother talks about you, except he doesn't know anything about you. Cole, I've never met Cole. But maybe they come on and talk about us. Maybe that'd be it. Or maybe like... I interview Cole about you and you interview Henry about me. That could be interesting. Yeah, Henry and I don't really talk about you. That's I said it could be interesting, seeing as yeah. how I've never spoken to Cole. I no, think we'd be I on know. the same foot there. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, least, I mean, uh, so. To tie that back around, at least I think both of our younger brothers have never kissed our best friends. Actually, you know, I don't. Oh, there was okay. some t- There was a time. Well, there was a time there in high school when um, Henry was. Maybe not because I, you know, best friends were hard to come by in high school for me in my latter years. But um, I do remember that there was a very uncomfortable period of time where a lot of girls would tell me how attractive my younger brother was. And that was really not fun. So, uh, but yeah, definitely. He'd never orchestrated anything the way that Todd did um, because he would have gotten smacked. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's really interesting, though, to think about like my two different schools that I went to because the second one. Uh, was that like we talked about last week kind of really focused around fashion and what you had and what you didn't have and then the first one um, was a uniform school which I think is really interesting going forward because the next big plot point in the book uh, was the implementation of uniforms and basically so the girls punishment for uh, the wearing the outfits that they did for Halloween um, is that there's going to be an implementation of uniforms and Massey somehow is, manages to finagle her way into making it beneficial for her by getting her fashion design professor, which wild, um, <laughs> to uh, create a uniform design competition as a school-wide event slash project slash 
anything like that. And so Massey uh, starts to design her. So I guess the teams are broken up in a very interesting way, right, Courtney? Yeah. So at first, it seems like Massey is really going to get in trouble with the other girls in school for this uniform implementation policy. When they announce it at the um, school assembly, all of the girls are like turning around to glare at her. And she pretty much races out of there as soon as she can and even forgets her phone in the basket where all the girls had had to put their cell phones, which Claire then retrieves and finds Massey hiding out in a teacher's bathroom, which I think we're all guilty of doing, hiding out in a teacher's bathroom when something goes awry in school. I know I have. And Claire brings her her phone, which Massey says is like the nicest thing anyone's ever done for her, which the bar is just so low. But she manages to come out smelling like a rose in this, like she is often like known to do. And she basically convinces, like you said, Claire, the fashion design teacher to host this fashion design competition for the uniforms, which is going to be covered by Teen Vogue and have all these different people there to report on it. And at first, Massey wants to do her uniform all by herself because Massey is very independent, as we know. But she, as a sign of good faith, since Claire is the one who brought her her phone after that assembly and sort of stood by her, um, tells Claire that she can come over after school to work on their uniforms together so long as Claire obviously like doesn't spy on her. And Claire agrees because this is going to be some good face time for her. And at the end of the night, when they're super exhausted... Massey offers her an opaque bag, a garbage bag, essentially, to put her uniform in. She says that they're both going to put their uniforms in because Massey doesn't want Claire to peek at her uniform. And this, as we are all looking at it in hindsight and with, like, adult eyes, we know is going to come back and bite them in the butt, like, immediately. Because what happens next, but the next morning, it turns out Inez has thrown away both of their uniform ideas or, like, their concepts. And so Massey decides to create a super team essentially where she and Claire work on the uniforms together and then have Dylan, Kristen, Massey and Claire all sort of model them together at the event. Yeah. And I just, in case we haven't said it before, Inez is the blocks housekeeper. Yes. Yeah, who is does live with them. Mm-hmm. A live in house, which, which is so luxurious. So luxurious. Um, <laughs> Not something I'm used to. Um, but yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, and no fault to her that the uh, <laughs> uniforms go to the yeah, dock. Yeah, I mean, because... I would not be mad at her whatsoever. But it is an, a great introduction or like a moment for another one of Lisey Harrison's like classic quips where um, Claire says that all of their uniform or like their scraps or whatever got sent to the incinerator or the dump where Westchester sends their garbage, like where Massey's town sends their garbage. And Massey thinks to herself that she's impressed by the fact that Claire even knows where their garbage goes, but she doesn't share that with Claire. And I thought that that was just like a fun little quip on Lisey Harrison's part, just to add to some world building. I mean, do you know where your garbage goes? In Chicago? Yeah, like directly. Lake Michigan, probably. Oh, that's so sad. I, I'm being facetious, but like, I, I don't know. But I think that if yes, yes, know but where no. our garbage went, I would also be like, slightly impressed. Yeah, I have no idea where my garbage goes in D.C. I bet David does. I'm sure David does. But, yeah, that's his thing. Um, not <laughs> that I'm not responsible. Man. And um, and I, I do recycle and I am conscious of my waste. But um, it, kind of the cool thing that comes out of this. So it's, as, as you may have heard Courtney go through that list of names there, you might be missing one. And that is Alicia. She does not join the rest of the pretty committee on that super team 
um, for designing those uniforms. She is instead partnering with Olivia, who we learned about earlier in the episode, um, who is the girl, Olivia Ryan. She just returned from supposedly getting her second nose job. Um, And Alicia and Olivia kind of go for a very different direction um, from Massey and the rest of the pretty committee. And it's in kind of the way that like Massey, we see Massey kind of dictate what the pretty committee does. We're seeing the same thing with Alicia. Alicia's dictating kind of what her and Olivia are doing. Um, And it's interesting because basically what both girls are doing are creating uniform versions of their own wardrobes that will make everyone else look and act like them. Yeah, so why don't we talk about the three, I think, key uniforms that we get to see throughout the fashion show. So first we have Lane's uniform where she has um, Eli model, Eli who we heard about from the Halloween party. And it's essentially like a commentary on the idea of self-expression and the idea of having everyone look the same and apparently Lane says during this fashion show that OCD is committing a crime by forcing developing girls to abandon their identities during these formative years. And so her uniform idea is to have index cards that go into like a transparent plastic sheath on the uniform like shirt that allows you to describe how you're feeling. So confident, casual, but sexy. I feel fat today, which I know that our mutual friend Jess hates that phrase, I feel fat. So we won't even unpack that. And I just bought the new sevens is another emotion that you can convey with your uniform, even though you can't wear those new sevens given the uniform. Yeah, but I think that's kind of, well, that's kind of Lane's whole point. (laughs) But, um, and then, so next on the list is, and I'm going to have to pull up details for this one because they're, the next two aren't, as quite as easily summed up. Oh, I have um, pulled up. And don't so, worry. oh, you haven't pulled up. Do you want to do yeah. Alicia's then, or do you? I can pull it up and do Alicia's. Okay, whatever. Or do you, you want to do Alicia's and then I'll do Massey's and? Sure, because Massey's is like very involved, given all of the the details. So, the Alicia Olivia Dream Team is a little is what Alicia describes as a nod to Ralph Lauren's Blue Label. And it includes strappy sandals, jeans, and a blazer instead of the cliche schoolgirl skirt. And then on the uh, extremely pla- uh, practical, geez, what am I looking for? Uh, and then as the accessory, a man's necktie hangs casually from Olivia's belt loops. And Alicia explains that the groups of girls can wear matching ties to show who their friends are, which in a very anti-bullying school, such as Octavian Country Day, obviously that's not going to go well. But it also seems like a nod to one of the outfits that Massey wears earlier in the book where she does that like boarding school chic wearing a Brooks Brothers button down shirt. Uh, dark wash jeans, and one of her dad's Armani ties through her belt loops. So Massey is like, you totally got that idea from me. Which, you know, is is pretty fair. I, I <laughs> Sorry, I'm just rereading the I, – I do this every time when I reread the um, the description of all of the outfits and, mm-hmm. and the, the songs that they're walking to. It's just very funny. Oh, um, no, it's horrible. But, um, I mean, Alicia does – get most of her ideas from Massey as we uh will see a little bit more in the next book. But to her in the credit, next episode. She does uh state that Ralph Lauren would agree to manufacture the entire line of blazers 
if their team wins, which I don't know what sort of string she pulls to get that, but that's a big promise. And if I were a school and I was able to get someone to do that manufacturing for me for free, I would definitely be a little bit swayed for that. Yeah, for sure. And I think definitely from like a, um, a logistics point of view, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Which Claire um, knows to have that connection. in fashion, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I work in operations and that's kind of like what my brain power goes to is, that, you know, creating that pipeline is like really nice to have. I mean, that's honestly better business planning than Massey. If we're talking from like A, a to B, you know, you got to you gotta have every step in, in the business plan. You can't just be like, this is what I want to do and not show how you're going to do it. But as we see later on, that is what happens um, when Massey kind of debuts her looks with the rest of the pretty committee. And so um, their looks are a little bit different and a lot more varied. Uh, so kind of the same way that Lane. Oh, and one thing, the thing I wanted to bring up about Alicia is that every private school that says that they are anti-bullying is not actually anti-bullying. They're just <laughs> anti-bullying being caught. <laughs> they they all enable bullying. It's just how it works. <laughs> um, but sure. Massey's kind of uh, her uniform is four different or f- yeah, four different uniforms that you can wear based on your coloring. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, are you a winter, summer, spring or fall? Um, and so basically sh- her uniform is it's it's all the suede skirts, A-line suede skirts, like the one we talked about in the beginning of the episode. Um, and each girl has a different colored suede skirt, a holster, a rhinestone holster for their cell phone, a blazer, and like a button-down shirt, and a beret. And so Massey's colors are a dark green suede skirt, a purple rhinestone holster, a green blazer with a big yellow flower pinned to the lapel, a black beret, and then she's got a white strapless silk top with the letter M stitched in the upper left-hand corner. Purple rhinestone-covered platform keds with the black knee-high socks rounded out the look. So that's where the kind of the keds come in, and that's where Claire's influence on the uniform kicks in. Um, but then Kristen's is <laughs> um, her colors are soft white, red, and turquoise. Is soft white just pink? I think, no, that I might think just it's be like eggshell. Anyway, um, and then Claire's are Easter egg pastels, which sounds horrible. Um, she has a with a black rhinestone covered cell phone holder. Which I, whoever decided that black was going to go with the pastel suit? Anyway, Massey, obviously she wants Claire to look as obviously. bad as possible. Yeah, and then red, uh, fiery redheads. You're a Dylan. Your uniform will be ivory and lavender. Um, and so kind of you know. Claire can tell uh, when they're doing this fashion show that they're killing it. They're doing super well. She feels awesome. Cam, her crush, is there. Um, and everything seems to be amazing. Massey seems to be really, really happy. Everything's doing well. Um, so everything finishes, and then they're they're being led to vote. And when they are voting, they are using thimbles to vote, which I was like, that's – I mean, it must come from somewhere, but it it's very interesting choice. It comes from the design department. They must have a billion. I don't know if I – I don't think I've ever used a thimble when sewing, except for I had a leather thimble that I used when I was, like, sewing leather, but that's very different. I've used a thimble before, but I feel like if you have a fashion design, like, course in your school, you, should have, you would yes. have thimbles. Okay, fair. I didn't think about it like that. I just – I don't know. It seems like um, a lot but, of thimbles for that audience, though. Like, I wonder if they ordered – 100 yes but 
we also don't really know how many students per, per grade there are there because it's like, I just like in Hogwarts, I don't know if you've <laughs> done this math before, but I have. Hogwarts only has 40 kids per year. There's only 10 kids per house per year, which means there's 70 kids per house, which is like a very small number. So is that all, all I'm saying? Well, is that consistent with with what? I was going to say, is that consistent throughout every generation or is that like particularly low in the course of the Harry Potter books because of the war? Intriguing. Um, I am not sure. We'll get back to you on that. But okay. that's a different. But it's, it seems like well, it seems like such a specific number. That like 10, 10, 10, like everything is always 10. But again, it might be, you know, due to scarcity. But all I'm saying is that we don't really know the number of people that go to OCD. So, you know, it could be pretty small. And then they might easily have like a box of 100 thimbles laying around if there are, I don't know, is, do we know, even know if it's 6th, 7th, and 8th? <laughs> so judging by the fact that um, Briarwood Academy is both a lower school and an upper school, as we learned in the first book, since Todd goes to the same school as Chris Abley, um, mm-hmm. I would assume that Octavian Country Day is similarly a lower school, upper school situation. But perhaps the uniform thing only applies to 7th grade because they are the ones being ridiculous. That oh my god, could you imagine could you <laughs> Just imagine one being year of uniforms? No, but could you imagine being like a junior in high school and you learned that these seventh grade nitwits screwed it up for you? And yeah. now for your senior year of high school, you're gonna have to wear a uniform that's picked out by seventh graders? No, impo- I mean I would I would go I would riot. There would be a riot. I would I would riot. Yeah. I would I would riot. It would be a horrible. Um but so they're voting with these symbols and Massey uh, this is the first time she does something that will become a signature for her, is that she takes out a bottle of purple nail polish, which purple is her signature color, she has decided, um, and she paints her thimble purple so she can see where it is in the, like, it, for good luck, she says. Um, and then it, it really is important to note, though, because when they go to count the ballots or the thimbles in the ballot boxes, um, something that Massey notices is that her thimble is in Alicia and Olivia's box. And it takes a second for people to understand, other than Massey, why that is so. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. You voted for someone else. Like, you know, that's so considerate and kind of you, Massey. And Massey's like, no, I didn't vote for someone else. They cheated. <laughs> She's like, and do they you switched know me the- at all? Exactly. Have I not already laid out my entire personality for the last two books? Um, And she goes in and she was like, you know, they cheated, but there's nothing I can do about it right now. I'm going to lay like a snake in the grass, she says, which is very funny to me because <laughs> it's such an adult metaphor. Yeah. Um, and she's going to lay in wait to to exact her revenge on Olivia and Alicia. Um, and that is where the book ends. Just like Courtney and I were saying earlier, this could be two books handily. This could, this could be two books. That's not where the book ends, though, because there is oh, one right. final scene that becomes crucially important to the next book. And that is after they are declared the losers. Oh, yes. Um, after they're declared the losers, the Block and Lions families go out to dinner to sort of celebrate the girls and the, all their hard work, etc. Massey starts laying the groundwork by priming her father, William, to say like, oh, but dad, we really can't have uniforms. You're just going to donate a building, right? Like, we're, we're just not going to have uniforms. Um, and lo and behold, Todd presents a present 
to Claire as well as Massey, but it's not as significant. And he gives her this note, which he says that she needs to read in private because it's a little embarrassing. And she goes to read it and it turns out it's the note from Cam that Massey saw Cam give to Todd on the bus when Todd planted that kiss on her. It was actually a note to Claire. So after the fashion show, Cam writes Claire a note, essentially saying that Claire didn't respond to his first note about the CD and asking her to go for a movie. He thinks that they should have won. And Claire is so excited. Turns out Todd never gave her the CD because he thought that the songs were really cool and he promises to give it to her later. Um, but she's so excited because she really wants to share this note with Massey because it would be a great bonding friendship moment for them, not knowing that Massey actually has a crush on Cam too. Ooh, boy. Big stuff there. Some A-plus commentary, Claire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It's a lot to unpack, and it does become a major plot point in the sec- in the next book. It does. It does. It does. Yes. It For does. For what it's Sorry. Worth. I don't know um, why that was my reaction. I think my brain it just kind of, like, did the, like, spinny wheel of death thing for half no, a no, second. No, no, no. You're fine. My- um, but, yeah. So – just kind of like to round out the end of the story here. Uh, you know, we're we're pretty rare and rare to go for the next episode. Excited to see what happens with uh, Alicia and Olivia and also with Cam and Claire. Mm-hmm. But we got to end on a high note. Courtney, what was your fashion highlight for this episode? Sure. So my fashion moment for this episode, we already touched on it a little bit, but it was Massey's outfit to go to the mall where she wears that Brooks Brothers shirt and her dad's um, Armani tie around her jeans. That's something that as soon as I read it when I was 12 years old, I immediately ran to my dad and I stole one of his ties. And he tried to teach me how to tie it as if that was the look that I was going for. And it certainly wasn't because I was trying to be Massey Block. Um, and I was definitely really into that outfit. And I think it's sort of, you see themes of that carrying on through my current closet. <laughs> That's very fair. I feel like a lot of the early 2000s, like, boarding school-esque fashion um, definitely manifests itself now in my, like, outfits that end up making me look like a women's history professor from Smith. <laughs> I almost <laughs> Did I send you that no photo? Shade. No. Oh, it was, a, it was a good one. It was a good one. I had a, a high neck, black turtleneck, um, high-waisted mom, like, acid wash blue jeans and a houndstooth blazer on i was like really feeling it i looked okay. so good but i definitely like a gold chain you could have been a dwayne the rock johnson moment but it it was not a dwayne the rock johnson moment it was very much like a um it was it was it was great it was a great outfit i'm very proud of myself um, maybe i'll wear that tomorrow but um <laughs> my yeah no i fully agree that that was an iconic outfit but i think i have to differ a little bit just because um olivia faux olivia we don't preview. know if she's called Olivia um, yet. Oh my gosh. You, wh- Spoiler. What? What is that? Um, she wears a wetsuit to the Halloween party. And to me, it always comes across as like kind of a blue crush cosplay. Um, like I loved surfer movies when I was around that age. Um, and that kind of like gelled back slash slicked back hair look that like i just got out of the ocean and i'm beautiful and amazing mm-hmm. um and like aquamarine came out around this time it was oh, you know love. iconic iconic movie but um i think that that was a really amazing outfit also incredibly com- like confident to just wear a wetsuit to a halloween party but i i'm one thing about it that i really regret is that they they mentioned that the blocks pool is dyed blood red for this mm-hmm. party a couple of times and I really regret the fact that Massey or someone who was, you know, Dylan, who was mad that Olivia showed up, didn't push her into that pool because that would have been awesome. 
Agreed. Those are two, I think, stellar fashion moments. Um, and so that just leaves us with our State of the Union for the week. Claire, do you want to go Goodness. first? Yeah, you know, I can go first this week. Uh, so I would say that in for this week, and I would also like to highlight the fact that in this book, the State of the Union was much more prevalent than in the first book, which I did appreciate. Um, she did it like almost at the end of every other chapter. Um, but I would say that my in for this week would be kind of like going forward, looking towards the end of the year, uh, in is being aware and being respectful of your state or district's coronavirus regulations. So that means all you, you know, 20-somethings, you youngins, looking at you. Uh, me, all me? My peer- no, you as in the y'all. <laughs> our um, listeners our listeners our peers um you know you might be tempted to drive to see your parents one weekend but if they are in a state that is being restricted for quarantine that does not mean you come back and go to a friend's party that night you have to follow the rules either stay here and don't go see your parents or go see your parents and come back in quarantine for 14 days like i'm really tired of of people thinking that they're exempt from the rules And honestly, um, my out for the week is going to be people who break those rules. Like you're going to get snitched on. I am, I'm in the process of looking up how to basically, uh, report people (laughs) who are breaking the rules because I'll do it. Like it's the like, and I do it again. Like I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. Thank you, Snitch Claire, um, for being our. Oh, sorry. Our I did sister. again. I am. I contain multitudes. Seeing as how early in the episode I said no one likes a snitch. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> we are all multi-layered and hypocritical individuals. Uh, um, ogres are like onions. We're not covering that book in this podcast. Shrek? Oh, we can do that another episode. Um, Please let us know if you want a special episode of me uh, narrating Shrek. I'll do it. If you do that, I'm quitting this podcast and it's my intellectual property. Um, I, my in era for this episode is craft cocktails. I made myself a craft cocktail that was provided by a person who works at Spotify for my professional day job. And it was delicious. I feel very fancy. And now I want to be a professional mixologist. I feel like that's my true calling. Um, and my out for this week is is my, is my Kit Kat bars. I think those are overrated Halloween candy. And I think that they are out. Why? Because I think that the superior Halloween candy is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Unless you are allergic to peanuts, in which case, never mind, you can have all my Kit Kats. Gosh, I'm trying to remember what my favorite Halloween candy. Honestly, I was always a sour candy kind of girl. Uh, That's true. Runts, you do love gummy candy. I do love gummy candy, um, much like Claire. my namesake. Uh, except for gummy, Claire. I'm never gonna eat a gummy foot. That always weirds yeah, me out. That was always uh, weird. She loves the gummy feet. That's like this. Very... What are what am I thinking of? The slappy string. Yeah, but I, I do they they make those out of gummy? Very gross. I, you would know, not me. No, I wouldn't. I don't. You like anyway. gummy candy. I, yeah, but I don't think they make gummy feet. I don't think that's a real thing. I think Someone that, that Google was a little it, and then we'll make gummy feet merch. Oh, God, no. <laughs> um, I don't like feet. Um, but I guess that's a good question. It's like what your favorite Halloween ca- candy is. I my What are your plans this weekend, Courtney? I am going to host a very small selective dinner party with some spooky treats um, and 
absolutely no going outside. Um, well, as you know, I live with my parents because of the pandemic. And so my Halloween plans are going to be uh, building a blanket fort, getting Halloween themed drinks from a local coffee shop, um, perhaps making a fun Halloween cocktail and do pulling a Dylan Marvel and eating my weight in Halloween candy because I can. Maybe I will like do a spooky makeup look just for fun, but the plan is watch a whole bunch of Halloween themed movies, but like not scary ones, like cute ones. Yeah. What's your favorite? I think I think any of the Halloween towns are always a good choice. So I think I need to sign up. Are, there, are those on Disney Plus? Oh, I don't know. Um, possible. If anyone knows where those are, where those are, and where we could find them, I, I know that the girl is on Coast. TikTok now. Marnie is on TikTok. I found That's her there. True. I saw her there. Um, yeah, there's not like a ton of great Halloween selection that's not scary on Netflix. Um, I just like so I'm, I'm so. I've never been one of those people who's like a hocus pocus person. I just can't get into it. It's too cheesy. Okay, that's fair. Sorry if that makes people dislike me. (laughs) I'm just like very, I'm not a big scary movie person whatsoever. I get scared very easily. And so that will not be on the playlist for my movie time. But if anyone wants to come join me, uh, don't because it's a pandemic. I like Beetlejuice. I think that's my my go-to. It's not that scary. I think you could handle it now as an adult. I know that they had a Broadway musical about it that then shut it's, down. Oh my gosh. There's some good songs in that. It started out in DC. It's uh, My favorite one is the whole being dead thing. That's a good one. You should listen to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it started out at the same at the National Theater like uh, Mean Girls did, which uh, Revenge Party is my favorite song from that one, in case you were Mine wondering. is Apex Predator. Apex Predator is good, but I think Revenge Party is better. I think Revenge Party is fun. Um, I think there's something else to be said also about Karen's song, which is also about Halloween. Well, so um, what are we looking forward to next week, Courtney? You want to tell us a little bit about our next uh, book in the series? It's called Revenge of the Wannabes mm-hmm. by Lucy Harrison. Um, we will be reviewing Revenge of the Wannabes next week. Uh, and that book came out in 2005. So we're jumping a whole year now. Uh, so get ready for that. And uh, get ready to hear a little bit more about the uh, evolution in uh, the pretty committee and the friendships and, uh, you know, all of the fun stuff that we have to look forward to. I think we have some social media things to call out if people have any thoughts about our choice in Halloween candy or movie or the very rambling stories about our first kisses. Um, So you can find us on Twitter at WittyPod. You can find us on Instagram at Witty Committee Pod. You can find us on uh, the internet at thewittycommittee.com. You can email us at wittycommittee at gmail.com. Join us next week as we continue judging the mean girl right back, one book at a time. Bye.